I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. And thank you for not coughing anymore, because we are here, that, and we're that happy coughing to... fit courtesy of the wad of mucus that was just caught in my throat. <laughs> God, thank you. The wad of mucus, <laughs> a, a new listener to the Wage of Cinema. We have a new one. Um, by the way, just... He's, he's going to write a review, are you? Yeah, you know, can you write... Uh, if you're interested in, like, our podcast, make sure to go to iTunes, uh, because we have a... Whole, you know, we're on iTunes. That we should mention that, and you can subscribe to us and rate us and write a review. And it a helps. rating and a review on iTunes really helps us with our visibility. It would be if you are a wager of cinema, then you will not yes, be sorry. All of the wagers out there who listen to us but don't write reviews, you know, come on, what are you doing? You know, you know, you like <laughs> us. You know, you want to just say a come couple on, words. write a review. You got nothing better to do. Yeah, what are you going to do except pay your bills or, you know, do your plowing in the fields or whatever uh chemistry thesis coming up of course not write a review yeah exactly and also we're on dissertation that's yeah and we're also on facebook and twitter you know you can leave us a comment there too we've gotten comments from people just saying that they you know love our podcasts and love what we do Um, some people have questions people have questions sometimes yes that's true uh and uh we've gotten comments from people over time and messages and we love reading those on the radio on the radio the, the audio why did i say radio <laughs> god now i feel like a grandpa like you remember radio yeah <laughs> I don't, don't knock it radio is still really popular you believe it or not in some places yeah no no most people listen to radio do they yes wow because there's one radio in every car what else are you gonna do while you're driving text good point good point um but yeah we love reading comments that we get from people uh we got a comment actually from uh i i this is really random but i posted um a video of uh from my neighbor totoro right um the song you know the opening theme song because we were you know talking in our last podcast about movies to get your mind off the election and uh our friend gabe rodriguez left a message on the video saying hey let's go yeah. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Gabe, oh, and we also got a review of a comment on our Doctor Strange review. Uh, Maureen Moots, I hope I said that name correctly, just said the movie was outstanding. Hmm. And that was Jack it. agrees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not as saying it's as outstanding as I did before, but it's still really good. Um, Maureen, so, thank you. Yeah, Maureen, thank, thank you. Gabe, yeah. you are heroes exactly so uh we'd like to just talk a little bit in this segment about movies that's what we like to do and we just like to talk about movies we've seen and jack movies... have you seen any movies since we last recorded have i seen movies yeah that's why i asked you yeah oh good me too <laughs> that's cool that's cool um so just to get the, get the ball rolling uh i've seen a number of new releases because now we're entering into that time period of uh close to the end of the year when the studios start bringing out a lot of their you know major product and you know awards movies and movies they hope might win awards and probably won't and more blockbusters that people can go see things to take their mind off of the whole world and uh, i've seen a number of new movies uh, just to go over them uh, uh we're gonna get into an animated movie in our next segment but i actually saw another one that's in theaters now actually i'm not sure if it's on its way out but 
this movie Trolls. Hmm. You heard about Trolls? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you would think that what, the time to make a Trolls movie would have been in the 90s. Yeah, but people... it would have sucked. Yeah, do you think so? Yeah. Lots of property movies back in the 90s. Sucked. Oh, yeah. Well, that was also like back in the time when they had like a Tom and Jerry movie mm-hmm. and a Felix the Cat movie. Yeah. It, um, basically, if it was around, whether it was alive or not, they made a movie of it. Yeah. Um, Space Jam was probably the biggest uh, offender in that sense of being just... I think you'll find a lot of defenders of Space Jam, but it's nothing special. No. Uh, but Trolls... Actually, uh, it might be something special for uniting the greatness of Michael Jordan with Looney Tunes. Yeah, uh, well, they, that was already We've done a lot worse anyway. since then. Yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan did okay for what he was given that movie. It was just not like... He is a better baseball player than he is an actor <laughs> fair point thank uh, you but um you know maybe it was because it was coming off one of the worst weeks of my life but seeing you know all these but, but well compared to the worst week of my life this movie was pretty good yeah but maybe it was because i miss seeing like cgi animated creations that remind me of jim henson characters because hmm. in this movie trolls they're not like the troll dolls exactly they, they are, are a little different like they're more like it reminded me of it was a very it was kind of a mix of like tiny and cute mixed with a fantasy quest so it was a little bit like a fraggle rock type movie or something huh. which is the w- best way i could describe it uh obviously the one thing that distinguishes the trolls is the hair right. so there is a lot of crazy hairstyles but I just, the look of this movie is so imaginative. Because very psychedelic colors, you could say. Because everything is very bright and you have different trolls with that get every single different shade. And there's even a story element where if a troll becomes in- incredibly depressed, it loses its color and mm. it becomes gray. Um, oh, like in Yellow Submarine when the blue meanies turn everyone sort of bluish. Yeah, freeze. yeah, a little bit. A little bit like that. It's nothing like that, um, is it? Yeah. Well, I think th- there's a lot of joy to the making of this movie, which is why I think is what I was just hoping for. I mean, so if you got a kid or So it's more kid, than the cash-in. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not high art, but it felt like the the animators and the filmmakers were trying harder than they even needed to. So real effort went into this. Real effort did go into huh. it. It's not a great movie by any stretch. I mean, it's never, it's not like an inside out or something, which is actually about stronger themes. Yeah, which is actually great. Yeah. (laughs) To to boil it down, inside out, great. Trolls, not great. But, uh, but I would put trolls in the good column. Um, I will say, though, now there is a couple things that the movie uses songs that exist in the world. Like, they're not like original songs, they're doing covers. Um, some of this made me laugh though quite a bit. Like it, uh, there's a part because the, the villains of the movie are these trolls who you know eat not they, not their trolls, they're goblins who eat like the trolls. Okay. And that's how that's supposed to be what gives them happiness. Um, ultimately, the movie's about what makes you happy. And well, um, eating trolls, obviously. Well, that's what the, that's what the goblins tell themselves, but it's not really what makes them happy. They learn by the end of the movie. Um, oh, okay. But uh, but no, when you're first introduced to like the the goblin city, they're singing this song by uh, that band Gorillas, uh, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> which is that I ain't happy. happy. I'm feeling yeah. sad. I got sunshine in the back. But they're all singing it in such a way that's like very grungy and very like. As if they're monsters. Right. And it was just, it made me laugh very much. Awesome. Uh, so I saw that. Um, I also saw the new 
uh, Chanwick Park movie. The Handmaiden. Yes. You know anything about this movie? It's by Chanwick Park. Well, that's good. Good start. Um, here, you got a ribbon. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, it... I'd better say, or worse than Trolls? Uh, <laughs> slightly better than Trolls. Uh, slightly better? Well, it's it, it has some issues, story-wise. I mean, I, I it's hard for me to be articulate in my criticism, because what happens in this movie, it's in three parts, and you get this story involving this girl in like this very poor village who's kind of tasked by this sort of con man. Hey, like you're going to be like this woman's handmaiden, but your task is to make her go like you're gonna make this woman go crazy by this handmaiden. But over the course of the story, like in this first part, the two women actually become kind of attracted to each other, even though this wealthy woman is supposed to marry this guy who's actually the con man. But then there a twist happens, I'm not gonna say what, because again, Tangwook Park movies, if you've seen Old Boy, if you've seen uh, Lady Vengeance, if you've seen some of these other movies, he's a big fan of making incredibly twisted sometimes very perverted screwed up twists and uh this is one of them the, when the movie's in three parts it's a pretty long movie it's almost two and a half hours um when it gets into the second part it turns the story on its head and takes it in a direction that you really didn't expect it to go which has its plus sides but also its downsides because it goes and repeat scenes from the first part of the movie, which may or may not need to be seen again, if that makes sense. Uh, again, I'm not saying too much about it, because I do think you should see this movie if you really love classically styled, stylized films. Uh, Park is just an incredibly talented director, as far as that goes. He knows how to use the camera and to push style. There are also some very erotic scenes in this movie, hmm. to say the least. Uh... Also, a few scenes that are incredibly messed up, which, again, this is the man who, you know, without skipping a beat, had a guy eating a live octopus on camera in Old Boy. Um, but I would recommend it. Uh, just make sure that when you go see this movie, if you happen to see it in the theater... don't bring a baby. Well, don't bring a baby, but actually, no, in this time, when I saw this movie, it was unfortunately my one bad experience at the Alamo Draft House. Oh. Which, you know, normally in that theater... If somebody talks, you can alert the usher. But we were in such a small screening room that it didn't fit that many people. But right in front of us were two very old, very talkative people hmm. who, like, one, it was the type of thing where, I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience, but old people can be the worst moviegoers sometimes. And I mean, like, people who are pushing 70 or above. Because one person will explain what's going on to the other person because they're clearly becoming senile. <laughs> You've heard this politically incorrect post here from Jack and all. But no, um, and I tried, at first I thought, alright, maybe, alright, I'm going to put up a card to let the usher know, but no usher really came. And, I, and the people didn't talk for a while. I was like, alright, never mind, I'll just take this back. And they started talking more and more. <laughs> And man, you should have seen Corey. She was with, she was sitting next to me, and she was finally got to the point where she yelled at them oh, in the theater to shut up. And by then, the movie was almost over. And then an usher came and said, "I'm going to warn you. <laughs> Please don't." Yeah, yell. we're now we're the problem. Yeah, <laughs> but the point is, Handmaiden is a 
beautifully made movie that is pretty flawed. It's sordid and over the top in its sexuality, but that's intentional. So you you might enjoy this movie maybe someday. Good on DVD. So um, yeah, tell me about what you saw. I saw a movie recently. Uh, I can't. It's called uh, Judex. I feel like I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a. Tell me about back this. during the nineteen teens, back in I think nineteen sixteen, there was a French serial film. Yeah, about like, this. Well, they had like less vampires. Le vampire, sorry. No, but I mean, like there was a serialized film that they would do. It, it was called Judex, and it had this character who was this sort of uh, not supernatural person, but he was kind of like a crime fighter, and he uh, did. And he kidnapped people and tried to do justice and stuff like that. So somebody, I so I forget what the director's name is. He he was basically a fan of it and he made his own film out of those same mm-hmm. ideas. And it's this uh, black and white French film called Judex, and it's about this banker who's basically gotten rich basically off of dishonest stuff oh is this from the director of uh george franju yeah eyes without face yeah oh that makes sense because um edith scove is in this was she uh oh oh she was the woman who gets the yeah and she was in holy motors yes and uh thank you yes and one of uh this is one of her early roles to put this on my watch list and it's this very interesting film it's kind of like uh a cr- it's kind of like a crime fighting film but it's very low-key there aren't many big action sequences the costumes are very simple it's black and white uh a lot of times there's very little music okay and it's but it's still kind of slick and kind of stylish and it uh and it gets the job done pr- really well uh kind of entertaining to watch it's uh a pretty interesting uh film i'm looking at a review that is that starts off saying had we let quote women in cat suit movies die yeah <laughs> is there a woman that, in cat suit? yeah that's a really good question actually <laughs> yeah um yeah they probably but should it's be a, but it, i mean for a film of its genre like the sort of uh, the sort of pulpy narrative about crime fighting, it's yeah. it's just so restrained, but it's very, but it's also somehow delivers on all of the sort of sensational stuff that you'd expect from that sort of genre. Huh. I mean, it's not flashy at all, but it does make the right stylish choices. Like people are wearing masks. Even like the sort of silly domino mask. It's like, well, how is that supposed to hide your identity? You just believe it because, you know, it looks cool. It it was an homage to something that existed. Yeah. Before, the, the, but before homaging things became a real thing. It's like, imagine that somebody really liked the old Batman TV series. <laughs> yeah. And they decided to make a serious film with a very low budget, but they decided to make the best film possible. When you say the old Batman series, you mean the one you mean the one with Dan West? Yes. Huh. So imagine something of that sort of <laughs> goofy So I thought you were about to say like the one from the forties. No. Okay. Imagine something of that sort of genre mm-hmm. and all the excesses that that entails, but imagine you strip away a lot of that, those excesses and, but you still adhere to the spirit of it. It's almost 
and then you make the best film you possibly can with that material. That's what Judex is like. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, I love Eyes of Face. Uh, you know that 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 I think it was like is a uh, an underrated movie. Which, and by the way, that that same director also made this movie called Blood of the Beasts. Hmm. It's this short film. It's a short documentary in a butcher, like in a slaughterhouse, which is probably the closest I've come to this. Maybe if I was going to decide to become a vegan, like that would be a good reason. Hmm. Watching that, seeing that, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, no, but in but but this is actually show, this actually shows you what what comes out when you kill a cow and cut it up into pieces. Okay. Like right in front of you. Um, so to talk about some other movies, speaking of old movies, but here are, but new movies about old movies. Um, two new releases that I got to see last week. Uh, two movies by directors who you've actually talked about on uh, the show. Cool. Uh, a new film by Robert Zemeckis and a new film by Warren Beatty. The return of Warren Beatty, Andrew. Yeah. How about that? Like, we have not seen a Warren Beatty acted movie since the fiasco Town and Country, wow. which which I I'm probably one of the only people in America who went to go see that just because I was seeing everything. But that movie bombed pretty terribly, and Beatty Beatty says that he wanted to spend time with his kids, but he's not acted in a movie in 15 years hmm. since then, and he hasn't directed a movie since Bullworth. Um, of course, uh, when I talk about the movie, uh, you, you talked about Reds, which I gave you on the list segment last year. Yep. And then, of course, Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future. Of course, Zemeckis has made a lot of movies that you, uh, but uh, very different movies. But but both will make you think of old Hollywood for various reasons. Bay's movie is called Rules Don't Apply. Do you know anything about this movie? No. Okay. This is, I almost. If I were to describe this to somebody, which I'm saying I'm, uh, this like is you're doing now. Yeah, how about that? I'm describing this movie to somebody. <laughs> I should get out of my head a little bit. Um, you remember the movie The Aviator? Yes. Yeah, where uh, you know Martin Scorsese's big epic about Howard Hughes, uh, you know, big mogul movie maker, aviator, uh, questionable. A human being in some ways. Uh, this is almost like this is a pretty good sequel to The Aviator. All right, you could say. Although it's weird because The Aviator, by the way, sequel to The Rocketeer. Huh. Wait, that doesn't make don't, much sense. Don't think about it too much. Yeah. You'll just ruin it. All right, but in this movie, it's a different framing because it's supposed to take place in the late fifties into the early sixties, which is when Howard Hughes really started to crack up more and more although he was still in in charge of kind of like a his empire which involved movie stars and making airplanes uh the framing of this movie is that it's supposed to really it's really about this uh young cu- the, these two young people uh, uh oh god what are their names one the, the, the there's a guy in the movie his name's alden ehrenreich uh who people will now know pretty soon enough because he's the new han solo uh, or when they start making that movie, you'll know him now as Han Solo because that's what Hollywood does to people. Um, no way, man. There's only one Han Solo. Well, now there will be two. Now we're two. <laughs> now instead we are Han 
2-0. Anyway. But anyway. All right. And then the, the actress in the movie is Lily Collins. They both get kind of hired by Howard, in Howard Hughes' world, even though they don't get even meet him for a long time. Because they build up, it's almost like you're meeting like the Wizard of Oz or something, or you know, you, like, it's just like this mysterious entity behind a curtain in the land of Oz, and he like you know he has like all these actresses working for him, but the way they get their paychecks is just like all their paychecks are in a basket it's that gets lowered from by a window. Pneumatic tube. Yeah, pretty much. No, 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 not even that. It's like literally a rope is hanging like a basket out of like a window. That has all their checks. Um, Weird, but okay. Yeah. And of course, now Beatty plays Hughes in the movie. Money is money. Yeah. And Hughes and Beatty's great in this movie, I should say. He's amazing uh, as Hughes, I would even say. The movie itself is not amazing because it's a mess. Hmm. It's it's a freaking mess. Uh, it, it's weird to see a movie that... Because there's so few movies today that really have final cut by the director... And oftentimes, if they do, it's somebody in charge is really pretty competent. But this one, Beatty, you know, he's almost 80 years old, but he's one of these Beatty legends of Hollywood. Yeah, Beatty is 80. Yeah, that'd be a good poem. Um, he, this I think might be the last movie he'll make. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll keep making movies. That'd be great. Maybe he'll have like a Jodorowsky-esque renaissance or something now in his old age. But it, there are times in this movie where the story jumps and it feels like there are scenes literally missing. Huh. Uh, not unlike maybe when we saw Suicide Squad, and they're, they're, they had that feeling at times. Hmm. Um, and it's really jerky, for definitely for the first half Warren hour. Warren Beatty did the reshoots for Suicide Squad. <laughs> it makes sense now. <laughs> Man, I actually, I, I mostly like Beatty's director a lot. I mean, have you ever seen Dick Tracy? I have seen Dick Tracy. Yeah. I saw Dick Tracy a lot when I was a kid. Were you, did you? Yeah, I liked that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, though. Yeah, it's very... That probably precedes what Robert Rodriguez did in Sin City, as far as creating a high, super that, hyper-stylized comic book universe. That and The Crow. Yeah, well, but Dick Tracy came first. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I actually I think I might have seen Dick Trace in the theater, but I didn't really appreciate it until I saw it maybe like eight years ago. But the point is, rules don't apply. Pretty good movie that's marred by some really horrendous editing, but it has a lot of charm, and I laugh like la out loud, very loudly at times <laughs> watching this movie. Just because, I mean, and you know this from seeing Reds too that even though that's a pretty serious movie. The way that Beatty interacts with people sometimes as an actor, he can, he almost he seems a little awkward. Yeah, but that makes for some funny moments because like there you know, is it, humor in Reds. It's not just the drama. Yeah, there's a there's a good deal of humor in Reds because like especially with him and Diane Keaton, there will be times where Diane Keaton is just talking and talking, and they cut to Warren Beatty. He's just sitting there like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So he's a good actor to react to, and here. Because he's playing Howard Hughes, he gets to be really crazy and out there. The one odd little thing I'll, I'll end off with is that because thinking about this as a sequel to Aviator, the one problem with that is is that this movie features a couple of scenes that were in the Aviator, ah. but it doesn't make sense in the timelines. It's just like, uh, I don't know. Alternate universe Aviator? Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. Uh, the other movie uh, Zemeckis has out now is called Allied. Yeah. You've heard this one. Yeah. This is uh, all, this could also be called the the third part of a Brad Pitt World War II trilogy. Yeah. Which started with Inglorious Bastards and uh, incl- and then went on with Fury. All three movies are very different. Yeah. Uh, I would say among the, the three of those, what was what was Fury about? Fury was uh, was that the Nick Fury prequel film that we all missed? <laughs> Yes, Brad Pitt is no. Um, I wish that actually. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like I. I love when there are like movies that have a title for something and they're not at all what you're thinking of. But maybe if you can pretend in your brain that it is what you think it is, then you know it makes the experience that much richer. It's a pretty gritty war movie. Uh, Fury involves Brad Pitt and he's in a tank. Oh yeah, that one. Okay, and he has like a bunch of guys with him. It's a very I remember now. I couldn't. Movie. I couldn't think of. I couldn't place yeah. it in my brain. Okay, yeah. so now we have Allied. Allied. Now the thing is, these. It's interesting to see, if you were to see all three of them back to back to back because, again, Inglorious Bastards is a one of a kind movie. Any way you look at it, right? It's a war. It's a men on a mission movie, but it's also a spy movie. It's an espionage movie. It's a borderline Holocaust movie. It's a lot of things. <laughs> Very borderline. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, ha- Fury is you know a straight up action movie. This, Zemeckis, this is a thriller. This is a thriller. At first, you think it's going to be a little bit like Casablanca. It literally starts off in Casablanca, and like that movie also features two very attractive leading people because you have Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard, and you know Brad Pitt is like like a Canadian agent or something why he's canadian i'm not sure and Mary canadians Co- fought for the british in world war Two. Oh, did they yeah okay. a lot of canadians fought in the british army all right i should have known that um yeah yeah damn me uh and marion cotillard is a french agent and they have they they, com- they collaborate on this mission to you know take out like this german to ambassador kill hitler at the movie premiere not quite that <laughs> no um to blow up the basket yeah but then the movie if you if you some of you might have seen the trailer for Allied and it's one of those trailers that gives it gives it basically tells you the story of the movie in a way like and it's not it's not a spoiler to say it. basically what happens is Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard they're put together on this mission they fall in love they he takes her back to Britain uh, and they get married and have a kid but then he's told by his superiors uh, this woman's actually a double agent. And you have to confirm it. And if she is, then you must kill her. Here's what I don't get. Okay. You have suspicion that a, a person who is married now to he an agent... Did, now, he doesn't. He's I know. told us. No, no. That's not what I mean. Okay. You are the leader of this intelligence agency. Right. You say you tell Brad Pitt, uh, we think your wife is a spy. You have to investigate her. Why would you make the one man who is in love with her... in us? investigate her and put her him in charge of killing her should the necessity arise because what person in the entire world is going to be most likely to go against orders even if he finds out that the woman he loves is a spy well it's supposed to you don't give that job to the husband well (laughs) yeah well there are plenty of other people who could work on this yeah huh well i think well the idea i think is that you know, because he brought her back to Britain with him, right? After this I get mission, that. and I think well, they didn't know for quite a while who she actually was, or might be. I don't want to give away anything about the movie. Um, either way, um, 
I guess the idea is also that in the in the movie it's supposed to be like this could be a test of like his loyalty to like the British uh, army. Okay. That like if he's really loyal, he'll do this. You know, even if she isn't, like it's a test. That's like, that's a very tricky idea. Oh, it is. Don't get me wrong. Like you have to buy into a. You have to disbelieve quite a bit watching this movie. The one problem I had is that Marion Cotillard is great in the movie. Like she's really strong. Like as far as doing this performance, where you know she's whether intentionally or not, kind of seducing Brad Pitt. But Brad Pitt looks kind of bored for the mm. first part of the movie. I feel like with Brad Pitt, for the most part, you really got to give him a really strong, interesting, out there character to play. For the again, for the most part, it's not all the time. Obviously, Seven, he's great, but that's you have just a, a strong script anyway. But like when I think about, plus you had Morgan Freeman to work off of. Yeah, Morgan Freeman to work off of, but also just. If you kind of are trying to get movie star Brad Pitt, you really got to be careful with how you direct him because he might just... like I, The main characters in this movie are supposed to have really hot chemistry. And with the exception of one very over-the-top scene that Zemeckis does where, again, Zemeckis is not exactly a very subtle director. I, I like a lot of his movies very much, but there's one scene where, the, where Pitt and Cotillard finally consummate their relationship you say that they have sex yeah they have sex in the middle of a giant sandstorm in the desert and they're in a car and you see the sandstorm the cj sandstorm going over their cars they're getting to it in the back seat and it's like okay we get it <laughs> like this you know, movie is not subtle at all like in certain respects which, you know who made would have made that scene work who eva green yeah Oh, now that you, oh man, now that you said that, I wish. The queen of over the top yeah, sex scenes. Because Mary Cotillard, Mary Cotillard is very classy. Like, that's why I thought watching this movie, I thought they were trying it for a second. <laughs> yeah, Eva Green would have made that so good. Mary Cotillard has class. Eva Green, she don't care at all. Yeah, no, Eva no. Green will just be like, yes, yes, do me right here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's Rise of the Empire, <laughs> and uh, and don't forget Sin City, the name to kill for. Did you see that movie? Oh, did I see that movie? Did you tell me you saw that? <laughs> sure. Huh. I told you about that during our comic book episode. Okay. Wow, I forgot about. That. I'm sorry about. That. Um, but the point is, by the way, delicious. Yeah, but there's like <laughs> this is the kind of movie where it's just Zemeckis. He's really good at the action. I'll say that. Like, there's. A number of he scenes should have with just that. put a title card before the sandstorm. The part of this ca- the character will now be played by Eva Green for the remainder of this lovemaking scene. What they should have done in this movie. Now, now you're making me think of uh, that Buñuel film, uh, The Obscure Object of Desire. Mm-hmm. They should have just swapped actresses yes. from time to time. Oh, man. How awesome would Allied have been if they swapped yes. Marion Cotillard yes. and Eva Green? <laughs> Get Zemeckis on the phone. We got ideas. And like Eva Green as like a sultry, like French spy too. Yes. That's really cool. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. Write this movie. We're doing it. Okay, good. We're doing it now. All right. No, there's another sequence in this movie. There are two really over the top sequences. There's that one I talked about, the sandstorm. Then there's the scene where Marion Cotillard is giving birth in London. You know who would have made that scene work? (laughs) Let me guess. 
All right, move All on. Right. No, she's giving birth <laughs> in the middle of like a bombing raid. Oh, I thought you were gonna say another stance. And like she's be- like she's being rushed out of the hospital as fire bombs are going off in the sky, and it's like we okay, we get it, we get it. This it's is- like it's like that scene in Hard Boiled where they're trying to save all the babies. <laughs> Quick, get Zemeckis on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll be like, who are you? Um, <laughs> Chow Yun-Fat's not doing anything right now. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, Pitt actually does get better when he this conflict comes up in the movie and he has more to do. But the main problem with it is that as compelling as the story gets with him trying to figure out, all right, is my wife or is my wife a spy? Like I never really felt that connection between him and Cotillard, hmm, which is which is ironic because I've heard a lot of people maybe make the claim that Cotillard was the one that broke up him and Angelina Jolie's marriage, which again that's not for me. That's not anything. To it's do with the movie. tricky. This uh, <clears throat> knowing what what you've just told me about the film really presents an interesting challenge, because in order to make romances in film work. You have to have two people, two characters who work very well together. Yeah. And I don't even necessarily mean actors and actresses, you know, playing yeah. off each other in a performance. I mean, like, in the writing, you have to have two people who complement each other in what they do. Yeah. That's how you can believe that these people can fall in love and have yes. an attraction to each other. But the problem that Allied presents in this case is the suspense comes from not trusting the yes. person you're with and yeah. how can two people work together when they don't trust each other yeah. and if they don't work well together then you can't believe romance between maybe them. well the movie is i'll give it this it's it's very well directed uh, aside from the <laughs> those over-the-top scenes so which could easily have been passed patched with a little eva green yeah but yeah <laughs> there's nothing like it's a very watchable movie i just wish that Pitt had engaged me a little bit more he might engage some other people I just didn't quite feel it spark. Maybe it's because maybe they needed a slightly younger actor than him. Like he he looks great for his age, which is amazing. Like he's he's in his fifties, wow, and he still looks like he's thirty five. But that said, it's just uh, I, I don't know. I just need somebody who didn't look quite as so bored to be there. Like hey, if he looked bored, he looked bored. Because like because when you see Glo- when you see Glorious Bastards, he has a lot of energy. He's doing that accent. Well, sure, because he had a mustache. He had, he had a mustache. His name was Aldo Rain. If Brad Pitt has a mustache in a movie, he's bound to d- deliver a great performance. Yeah. Oh, one other small thing, by the way. Um, interesting acting note. There's a, uh, a there's a German in the movie, like this Nazi spy who, uh, you know, there's like a couple of scenes with this character who I was like, do I know this guy? And then it hit me that they used the same actor from Inglorious Bastards who, uh, when they go down to that basement and uh, Michael Fassbender is having the long talk with uh, the guy and they're playing the card game, right. like the, the actor who played the Nazi in that scene oh, is in this the movie. SS officer. And okay. it's like, man, I know they're probably typecasting you, but damn. Keep doing that. Yeah, keep doing that. <laughs> Say goodbye to your Nazi balls. Yes. And remember, I'm a real Frederick Zoller. <laughs> <laughs> Bongiorno. So uh, my, my recommendation is go watch Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> uh, so what was the Maybe other we one? should make that a movie night. We should do Bad Brad Pitt's World War Two trilogy. We'll watch it in reverse. Hmm. Oh, start with Allied. Sure. Go back. Okay. Uh, what was the other movie you've seen? The other movie I watched. I got this idea while I was watching, like on TV, 
Captain America Winter Soldier was on. Okay. And I love that movie. Yeah. I love it so much. We've talked about and it. And I saw Robert Redford, and I'm like, yeah, he was cast in this movie, just like Jack said, because of Three Days of the Condor. Well, also All the President's Men. That, too. And so I thought, let's watch Three Days of the Condor. I have not seen this movie. Okay, Three Days of the Condor is a thriller. It's got some action in it, but again, low-key. Robert Redford's in it. He's like He works as some sort of intelligence officer, and his job is just to read books. <laughs> he works in New York. He reads books, and basically what he's supposed to be doing is like getting ideas for missions and sneaky stuff you do. It's like, read all the books, get some ideas, whatever. And then a bunch of paid assassins murder his entire office while he's gone for lunch. Okay. And that sets it up. I mean, people think he did it. He's got to figure out what's going on. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a bit of uh of the Captain America to that. It, it's that whole sort of thriller paranoia thing that uh that Captain America was trying to figure out, was working with too. Yeah. Uh it's got Faye Dunaway in it. Yes. She has a good and uh I'm not going to say too much about what happens. Okay. Because that would just be spoiling. Uh, I will say, for one thing, that part of the film is filmed in Hoboken Terminal. Oh, okay. Which, if you've ridden New Jersey Transit, you've all been in. And, yes. you know, this was when it was more run down back in the 70s. Oh, even more run down. It's not so bad right now. Is it? Okay. It's it's livable. <laughs> but, yeah. I was like, ah, Hoboken Terminal, I know that place. Uh, but, uh but but is is it suspenseful? It is not the most suspenseful movie, but it delivers on suspense. Okay. It's pretty interesting. Not uh and uh Robert Redford does some very interesting things in that film. He uh he's supposed to be playing sort of nerdy because he's this re- because he's this reader. So he wears these glasses, and you and there's a weird thing where Robert Redford puts on glasses, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy is like an office worker, and you know he's in the seventies, yeah, and he wears the yeah. CIA. He's just like a nobody. He takes the glasses off. He is instantly Robert Redford again. <laughs> he, so so he so he's Clark Kent. It's a real Clark Kent sort of thing, and you understand like looking at Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor. He's like, yeah, I see how glasses can make someone look unrecognizable. Yeah. Robert Redford probably could have made a good Superman. Maybe. And a little bit younger than when we usually think of him. But it's, it's tricky. Yeah. I mean, because... Do you need to have the black hair? Not just black hair, but, you know, there's Superman... He has a bit of that boyish charm. <laughs> he does, but he's also Robert Redford. Hmm. Who are you going to see when you have Robert Redford dressed up in a Superman <clears throat> outfit on screen? Yeah. That might be, I, that know, might have been the problem with having George Clooney as Batman because you just kind of see George Clooney. Well, I could see George Clooney as Batman because he had that sort of he had that Bruce Wayne vibe. Yeah, I could, I could, I could, maybe I could imagine George Clooney as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I th- I think that's why it kind of worked for me and why nothing else in that film worked. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Three right. Days of the Condor is a pretty decent movie. Max von Sydow is in it. Okay. Uh, he has a really great character, a, a really great part. Uh, I loved him in that film. And uh, if you ever feel like you're cornered in New York City, this ha- movie has a lot of good tips for how to uh, not get killed. 
<laughs> well, getting killed in the seventies—that was a, a, a special. That was a different kind of thing. Yeah, back in New York, I mean, you could just get killed walking down the street, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, those are all the movies I saw. Right on, man. Uh, so to go over some other things I've seen, I, I went on a, I went on kind of like a silent film binge recently, but like shorts. I'm talking about what? Yeah. I know, you, Andrew's making, like, what, you're crazy, Markers? Like, you have no idea what's on YouTube, man. There's, like... No, I don't. There's everything out there. Like, but, uh, no, I was just Fascinating. Going, Tell I, me more about the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I have such wonders to show you. Um, no, I was just... I was Somebody posted a list I follow on uh, letterbox.com, and it was just... I just decided, you know, I want to check out more silent shorts that I hadn't seen, because there's, like, so many creative things that you've not that people kind of just take for granted like oh the silent era but like you ever check out like some of the short films that george melier's made outside of trip to the moon and i really like voyage to the moon well is it voyage to the moon or trip to the moon that means the same thing all right yeah yeah well he um he he was all he was basically like the first magician of the movies you could say well he was literally a magician yeah, yeah, literally a magician. If, you, if you've seen the good parts of Hugo, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he, he, he's made a number of films which are just you should really check them out if you get get a chance. Like, he made a uh, an a, a version of uh, Baron Munchausen, huh. which uh, you know you you might have maybe seen the the Terry Gilliam adaptation from the late eighties. Uh, he made a movie called The Hallucinations of Baron Munchausen. Huh. Which is like this, just this ten minute short where Baron Munchausen is uh, about to go to bed, but once he's asleep, he has all these like really bizarre dreams, um, all these crazy tableaus that he's kind of walking around. Which is the one distracting thing because it's like, all right, we know you're dreaming this, but you have to be walking around and going like, oh, oh, look at these dreams, because oh. <laughs> that's almost what he does. Like Nicholas Cage. <laughs> A little bit. Actually, the the odd thing watching this, I thought <laughs> the actor who plays the Baron made me think of Terry Gilliam because he's making a lot of very big motions and Terry stuff like Gilliam that. is a time traveler. <clears throat> yeah, basically that. Um, I well, also, if he was, he wouldn't have so much trouble getting his films made. Sure. Um, I also watched a number of films from uh, D. W. Griffith because hmm. uh, he, you know, before he made Birth of a Nation and all those other features, he. I think he made like hundreds of shorts. It was crazy. Like he he, he was really prepared, I guess, for that. Yeah. Um, and I could go into a lot of the the titles. Like, I watched a movie called The New York Hat, which is like a movie, which is all of interesting movies about like feminism at this period of time and like what huh. freedom for women meant. Like, this one movie, The New York Hat, was all about like. I'm going to buy, I'm a small town gal, and I really want to buy this really fancy $10 hat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. A woman buying a $10 hat? Oh, I never. And it's like somebody buys the hat for her because, I guess, like her mother died, left her money, and blah, blah, blah. And then all the townspeople are like, "You, this woman has this hat. I can't believe it. Look at all these, like, all these gossipy women. <laughs> this is like a weird children's book. <laughs> Um, kind of. Oh man, um, one I really gotta talk about. She's a witch. Yeah, there. I went over so many of these. If uh, 
it's almost, it would take too long to go into them. But like, which one are the best? Oh god. Um. Well, D.W. Griffith made one short called "A Corner in Wheat," which I really loved. Uh, that was just showing um long before Eisenstein or people like that, like the what it means when you have the poor who keep being poor and the rich are getting richer and richer. Like the class disparity. Not too good, no. Um, Basically, it was like a short all about people cornering the wheat market. Hmm. And it cuts between... Because Griffiths was the one that started parallel editing. And so you got here cutting between poor people waiting on very long lines to get grain for like 10 cents when it used to be 5 cents. And that's a big drama. And then you got all these rich people who are trying to get all the money to own all of the wheat in the world. Right. So there's that short. Um, that, that's a theme he would re- later revisit in Intolerance. Well, I, well, I'm actually, I have Intolerance out from the library, so I'm going to watch that by the time we talk again, hopefully. Make sure it's a version with a good soundtrack. It, it's the re- it's a restored version. I'll take so. a look to make sure it's the one I watched. Good, good. Um, also, another Griffith short I watched called The Lonely Villa, which is just, it's almost, it's a, base, a, a prototype of the home invasion movie. Um, where like a gang of thieves get a guy out of the house so they can rob and threaten his wife and children, and you know the children are innocent because they're all dressed in white, right? And there are various sizes and quick children to the panic chamber. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like D.W. Griffith's panic room. Um, and then when the father finds out, he has to race against time to get back home. But this is before cars were really a big thing, so he had to get like a horse and carriage. Um, so there was that movie. Uh. There was this other movie called The Vanishing Lady, which was quite good. Um, this one wasn't one of the best ones, but the I really want. Woman. But I really want to talk about this one thing called The Teddy Bears, which is by one of the silent film pioneers, uh, Ed, Edward Port Edward Porter. He oh no, Edwin the, S. Porter. He was he, one of the first silent film directors to stake claim in his Conestoga wagon. Yes. and start All filming right. in the wilderness. Yeah. When I watched this short, I, I wanted to talk to you about it especially because uh, it's called The Teddy Bears. Teddy in quotes. Um, let me ask you, you know much about uh, Theodore Roosevelt? Yes. So how did he get the name Teddy? Uh, because it's short for Theodore. Yeah, but what did he, what about the teddy bear? Uh, there, yeah, there's a whole story about the teddy bear. Yeah. Uh, it's named after Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, allegedly, he, he went out hunting and uh, his hosts in order to provide some sort of game for him, tied a bear cub to a tree so that he could shoot it. Mm. And he said, no, I'm not shooting a bear that's tied to a tree. Where's the fun in that? Oh, okay. And it, and basically someone heard the story and they made, were making these stuffed bears and was like, oh, let's just call it the teddy bear because, that, because Roosevelt's yeah. an awesome guy and it'll be awesome. Yeah, uh, an achievement even greater than Rushmore. Um, right. Because <laughs> it's funny because I thought I'd heard a different version where he actually shot like the mother bear but let the cub live. But I guess the same thing. So this movie... In 13 minutes, you get basically the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears fused rather oddly with that story of how Teddy Roosevelt let the bear live. But he shot the girl. Well, well, no. Here's what happens. You get like a very bizarre version of the Goldilocks and the Three Bears where you have actors in bear costumes. Uh, the mu- Shining. <laughs> yeah, well, The Shining, I also <laughs> thought that this is probably where Lucas got the idea for the Wookiees for the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> they look so messed up and gnarly. But there's also, 
one really great sequence in this. I recommend everybody should check this out on YouTube. Where like Goldilocks goes into the house when the bears leave and you know eats some of the porridge. Then she peers into like this room where all these teddy bears are lined up and do a dance number in stop motion. Huh? Yeah. It's so out of nowhere. Out of nowhere that it's happened. And this is all in a 13-minute short. Yeah, it's like a really surreal digression that I guess maybe pads it out to be a longer short. But, but anyway, the the bears return home. They find the Goldilocks in bed. They chase it outside. Then as Goldilocks is running, there's Theodore Roosevelt. And he shoots the mama bear and the papa bear. And then lets <laughs> the baby bear live, I think. Or and maybe... that's how teddy bears came to be. <laughs> It's supposed like, like when I looked up this movie, it was supposed to be some kind of satire against Theodore Roosevelt. But I was like, well, where does the satire come in? That message has been lost to the ages. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> That's really cool. I'm gonna yeah. check it out. Um, I also watched Teddy Bear Massacre. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also watched a couple of silent comedy shorts, which uh, I recommend too. Uh, I don't know. The last one seemed pretty funny. Well, that one. <laughs> Well, it's funny for, like, the wrong reasons. It's kind of a, an amazing train wreck. Um, I watched a Chaplin short called 1AM. You ever heard of this? No. It's one of the only... I, I can't really think of too many times when he at, just was by himself, basically. But this entire short, it's, like, a 20-minute short where the whole thing is the tramp is really, really drunk and goes home and basically interacts with every kind of prop you can imagine. Like there's a tiger rug on the floor. See, this is that. Oh, that's 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 great for drunk. Yeah, there's another bottle on the table that he tries to get, but his coat gets caught on one other on the opposite side, and the table keeps going around in a circle with him. This sounds um, actually like it would be pretty awesome. It's really awesome. Like Chaplin, he, he has there's, there's this... a there's a st- he gets like five minutes of pure gold out of a staircase. Yeah, and when he gets finally he gets up there. There's like this clock that has a giant pendulum yeah. and it keeps knocking him down. <laughs> Chaplin has this great gift for physical comedy. Oh yeah. Where it's not like just that he's falling down or that he's, you know, tumbling over things. It's just that he's interacting with objects and people in one of the funniest ways you'll ever see. Yeah, he's interacting like, well, the, interact- the scene with I them. always talk about is like from the Gold Rush where those two guys are wrestling over the gun. Yeah. Chaplin is trying to get out of the way, but no matter where he goes, yeah. the people are wrestling the barrel of the gun right at him. Yeah, well, well, no matter yeah. where he goes. Well, in this, yeah, it's about the mileage that he gets from the gags and knowing just how many times to repeat something. Yeah, without with knowing not not to go too long with it, but finding new ways to mine gags out of a situation. Like you know, and you, like for example, he finally gets to his bedroom and he tries to pull one of those beds that's like attached to like a door oh down. What, the, what the hell is that called i don't know but there, there's a special name for that kind of bed all right yeah. keep going but anyway so that short is awesome and then just today i watched a buster keaton short i hadn't seen called cops um which cops was filmed before <laughs> yeah I, I thought of that watching this um actually the cops don't even show up for the until like the second half of the short like the first half is just Keaton want, Buster wants to prove that he's a good businessman, so he like happens upon kind of accidentally stealing a guy's wallet and That's uses like if, the money to like help out this guy like that, move all of his stuff from one side of town to the other. That's like if City Lights was called boxing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Or if Modern Times was called Wrenches. Yeah, the cops don't really get involved until, like, the second half of the story where he's, like, driving, like, his little horse cart with all this, like, stuff on it into, like, a cop parade. And then, like, it just turns into a giant chase movie. And the cops are chasing Buster Keaton through town and, uh, pretty awesome. All right. Uh, all right, last couple movies I want to talk about, which are features, um, that I've seen lately. Um, I saw a new Mel Gibson. You heard anything about this? Hacksaw Ridge? Hacksaw Ridge. Um, the way I would describe this movie is that this is the full metal jacket helmet of war movies. You remember full metal jacket? The guy, Joker's helmet says born to kill. Yeah. And also has the peace helmet. Right. The peace symbol on the helmet. Um, and he tries to, you know, the, he explains to the irate uh, officer what this is. And he says, you know, it's, it's I'm trying to do the duality of man thing. Uh, the, the Jungian thing. This is like the most Jungian horror uh, movie. Well, it's almost a horror movie. It's like the most Jungian war movie I've ever seen. It has a main character, this guy uh, Desmond Dawes, who his whole thing in World War Two was, I can't pick up a gun. I'm not going to kill anybody. And he everybody's he, got a gimmick in this war. <laughs> I know John Wayne is all Mr. Machismo, and uh, that other guy is a limp. You're a conscientious objector, huh, yeah. Mr. Conscientious Objector Man? And just through by the skin of his teeth, he he could have been court-martialed and put in a jail for the whole war, but somehow he got permission to be a medic and not ever have to pick up a gun. And so you have that, which is supposed to be like this very pacifist, nonviolent thing. And then you get into the second half of the movie, which is the most violent war film I have ever seen in my life. Jeez. Holy crap. Well, again, Mel Gibson, we, we kind of know what, we should know what to expect. Um, he just, he almost has like this morbid fascination with like the flesh and being as gross as possible. Like, you, you like there's a shot where like these soldiers are look, going across the battlefield, but this is before a battle starts and there are all these dead soldiers there. And it's like they're filled with maggots and rats and there's just guts everywhere. And how it, like, I would almost want to say that he's trying to be like a peckinpah as far as going so far with the violence that it becomes this artistic statement. But it's not shot in that way where peckinpah was really trying to change the form of like action movies. This is more like, well, I'm Mel Gibson and I love violence, so... I'm going to really make this as violent as possible, which really clashes with the idea that this guy was, you know, very Christian and very like hated violence and was really believed in the thou shalt not kill thing. Well, I think what you're talking about, like it's still, you're talking well, it's about a well-made the character movie, but... clashing with the aesthetics of the film. Yes. Uh, now, Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen the movie, but I mean, essentially, the film. Most of the characters in the film point to the ludicrousness of being on the battlefield without a weapon and being this sort of idealistic person. Yeah. And apparently, what's his name? What's the name of the character? Desmond Dawes. Desmond Dawes apparently has this firm moral conviction that he has to do something, yeah. but he's not willing to kill. No. And but he's somehow looking to do some good in a world where the only thing that matters is killing other people. Yeah. Now, 
and then he enters this world where people are being chewed up basically by the, the people and the scenery around them. Mm-hmm. I mean, perhaps that's some way of really illustrating the real challenge that is posed to him. I mean, sure, he can get out there and he can believe whatever he wants, but once he gets out there, how do, how does he actually put that into practice? Well, well, he's well, he's again, he's a medic on the field, so he's his whole thing in the movie. There comes a point in the last. 20 minutes almost half hour where it almost becomes a little bit like a superhero movie because what Doss and again this is based on a true story so I have to assume there was really did do there this. was a real yeah uh, there was a real Doss who you know and they, it even does the thing the movie does the thing where at the very end they show some documentary clips of the real Doss and his uh, other soldiers saying things about him yeah. you're, you're the, he basically was the he was a conscientious objector who got like the medal of honor and all these other things because he saved like 75 people yeah. from this big battle in uh, hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa. But the way that, again, there's one thing if, it, all right, he did this in real life. If this is a documentary, that's one thing, but you're actually seeing him save person after person, after person, after person, it becomes like a superhero movie. Hmm. And it, I don't know. I guess it's just, this I, the thing of clashing for me was more about you almost have a little bit of an anti-war message in a way that it's not good to kill you should try not to kill people this is my conviction but you gotta go out there and kill the enemy japan or is satan you better kill them and there are also just a couple of really gruesome moments for the sake of it like like mel gibson shows like this one japanese officer like committing seppuku yeah and there's no reason he had to show that right and it's like one of those moments where okay you're getting a little gratuitous here so is, so what you're saying is the the message of the film the message of the film is at odds with the some this with the kind of yeah the violence is shown in a rather exploitative way yeah which was also a little bit of my problem with the passion of the christ it's like you, you, I get the point you're trying to make. I have to see the Passion of the Christ again because I I, I have seen it once and it really le- it left an impression on well, me. It's but ca- it's been it's, a long it's time. It's kind of traumatizing. Well, I didn't feel that way when I saw it. I but know. Well, I'll take. I would say that this is a step, at least a step above Apocalypto, though. Like this is him. This is Gibson being a real director. He's not like indulging in the the heroic journey of Jaguar Paw. Uh, <laughs> I want to. I know Apocalypto has a big fan base now. I guess it's happened over the years. Like when I saw that movie, I just thought it was a piece of shit. I was just like, I don't. That's one of the. That's like in my top list of movies of films that Jack hates that other people love. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so, and one, one last movie. Well, I, I guess talk I about. just have to see Apocaly- Apocalypto too. Uh, if you ever see that, I'd be curious what you think of it because okay. I, I just sat there dumbfounded by the end of this of that movie, and I was like, "What the hell was Gibson thinking?" Um, one last movie I'll talk about. I mean, I, there were a lot of things I could talk about. I mean, if we had pick one, okay. Um, I saw Breakfast at Tiffany's for the first time. Haven't seen it. Yep. Uh, do you know anything about it? Audrey Hepburn being adorable. Audrey Hepburn kind of being adorable. Written um, by Truman Capote. Well, the book was written by Truman okay. Capote. He didn't really have anything to do with the movie. The movie's directed by Blake Edwards. And... Blake is a really <clears throat> manly name. Is it? Yes. Why do you say that? I don't know. I just have this uh, feeling about it. Hmm. It's a kind of an old-time name, True. I guess. I don't really see too many children named Blake. You I... will name your firstborn son Blake. 
Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> the thing about this movie is you ha- like when I wrote my review of it, I couldn't. There's almost like an elephant in the room when you talk about this movie because have you ever seen any of the clips or images of Are Mickey you Rooney? About Mickey Rooney. <laughs> yes. Where he plays I've a buck tooth, a buck tooth Japanese man who runs the apartment that Audrey Hepburn's character Holly Golightly lives in, and it is one of the most embarrassing things just in movie history. Like it's almost as bad as the blackface in uh, Griffith's uh, Birth of a Nation. The blackface is the least harmful thing about Birth of a Nation, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Like it's just. I sat there like slack jawed, like I, I, because I had seen little clips of it before, so I knew what was going into it. I saw this in part because they were doing a special TCM classic screening, and I thought, you know what, I've never seen this before. I like Audrey Hepburn movies, and you know, I, I liked actually a number of them. I like Mickey Rooney. Yeah, well, I, I don't really, I don't really have as much experience with Mickey Rooney. My, my. My, my my favorite Mickey Rooney thing doesn't even involve him so much, but it's in like a Donald Duck cartoon called The Autograph Hound, where Donald Duck is at a movie studio meeting like celebrities and he wants to get their autographs. And when he meets Mickey Rooney, he's just a total asshole. <laughs> it's like when I was a little kid, that was, I didn't know really who these people were, but that's how I learned about them. Like that was my first exposure to Mickey Rooney, this Donald Duck cartoon. And it's like, like Mickey Rooney keeps on taking Donald Duck's autograph pad and like doing like now you see it now you don't <laughs> and then like Donald, Donald Duck has a moment where he gets really angry yeah <laughs> like it's his usual thing his fighting stance right. <laughs> Mickey Rooney gives him a violin <laughs> so that he can <laughs> play the violin while he's doing that and Mickey Rooney does a dance <laughs> just thinking about it is cracking me up because it's so good so Mickey Rooney is offensive in this movie. Oh, it's well, it's the thing is, it's, it's a problem that's twofold because one is the obvious thing of a, you know, a, a stereotype which, you know, it's just oh, it's so uncomfortable to watch. But also the character is useless. It's a very one-dimensional character that just has nothing much to add to the story. It's meant to be comic relief, like this guy who lives at the top of the of the apartment is the landlord and he constantly his one action in the movie is i'm getting ornery because you're being loud downstairs and it's just so useless in a movie that does have some charm but it's also a little bit of a dated movie too and that it's ultimately the message is ladies you know you can be a free spirit but ultimately you gotta have a man okay <laughs> so also the, the the main actor in the movie george papard who, have you ever seen him in anything? He was in the A-Team. He was in the A-Team. He was also in the Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, which I've seen. Um, <clears throat> he's a bit of a dullard in this movie. Uh, and I actually read that he and Blake Edwards kind of clashed over how to play the character. Like, he, like Blake Edwards wanted him to have more dimension. And George Rapar was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a regular lean man. And he, he's playing it boring, in other words. Well, Audrey Hepburn is charming. She she basically is the reason to see the movie because she's just like, even with material that doesn't that's mostly a lot of quips and very sly lines. Like Holly Golightly is this character who's become very influential because of her style. Like people just know her look and associate with her Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Until near the very end, there's some interesting drama, but 
actually also Buddy Ebsen's in the movie. <laughs> He's actually really good. Uh, but ultimately the movie hasn't dated well, aside from the racist caricature. Um, so I, if you're going to ever check out Audrey Hepburn, I much more recommend uh, things like Wait Until Dark. And Have you seen that one? It's so good. Roman Wait, Holiday. Roman Holiday, uh, Sabrina. Um, oh, uh, and uh, of course, uh, Charade. So those are all those are all better than Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like I would probably put Breakfast at Tiffany's in the column of overrated, frankly. So, well, <sighs> yeah. There are, again, there are more movies I, I want to talk about, but there's only so much time. Uh, I highly recommend also two of the best movies of the year: Manchester by the Sea and Nocturnal Animals. And I, I, maybe in another podcast I could talk about those because those maybe. I could talk for like half an hour about those things. So, um, <clears throat> that's stuff we've seen lately. As I said before, if you want to send us an email, thewagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, tell us what you thought about these movies. Tell us if we're being a couple of jerkheads and why. And we'll try to answer you very reasonably if we can. Um, also, any suggestions for podcasts. That's always something we like to do. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we are going to talk about another new release, which is... Uh, Doing pretty well at the box office, too. It's uh, another major hit for the Walt Disney Corporation. I wonder what it is. Yeah, it could be anything. So, stay tuned for... Except the black hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much done. <laughs> the black hole and uh, the black cauldron. Anything, yeah. Anything black, they're, they're pretty much done with. So, stay tuned. In the movies we see, in the shows on TV, and in anthems passionately sung. There's a message that you've got to keep believing in yourself, but they generally mean if you're young. Is it written in the air as it seems to be? That we haven't long at all to find our destiny. I'll always remember to be grateful that the rules don't apply to me.